Well, it gives me pleasure to introduce to you uh, Ralph Corner today. He's going to be our speaker. Uh, Ralph has pastored for about 11 years. He's the dean of a seminary called Taylor in Edmonton, and we encourage you to come and be a part of that at lunch if you're interested in going on to, to more studies. I know sometimes you're not thinking about studies right now, but when you finish your four years degree, it seems like endless, there's more for you. And so we encourage you to, to check that out. It is a seminary that's multi-denominational. It means there's all kinds of different denominations that attend that seminary. It gives you a really good flavor for a lot of different individuals and a lot of different types of ministries. So he also works with a part of EP Wall Lectures, and that is part of continuing education for pastors as well to enhance uh, you as you grow as a pastor and serve as a pastor. So Ralph and I go back about 40 years. He just looks way younger than I do. And so, welcome, Ralph, to our stage today. Thank you, Al. Well, it's a distinct honor and privilege to be here. As Al said, we do go back 40 years. That's a scary thought. Um, when he and I were both at North American Baptist College, um, he was a little bit older than I, and I was uh, young and uh, motivated, headed on my way to missions overseas, and God redirected me into pastoral ministry over time. Um, but it was wonderful years that we're able to enjoy together and seminal. Um, I don't know if any of you remember Adam Beyer, who was here, just graduated, but um, his dad and mom and my wife and I were all together at the same time, and just this wonderful years. Anyway, enough of that. So um, it's a privilege to be here. Um, as uh, Al mentioned, um, I'm here uh, representing the seminary, so we have Master of Divinity, Master of Theological Studies, and Master of Arts Intercultural Studies, as well as TESOL. And so if you're interested in pursuing those kind of studies to be equipped more effectively as a minister of the gospel, we invite you to consider checking uh, things out. We're actually working together with Prairiet, um, looking to develop an accelerated MDiv degree for uh, graduates from the theology and ministry degrees. And um, so we invite you. Rick Hevener is uh, my sidekick. He's our admissions counselor, also as a pastor. And uh, we have a table in Maxwell Center if you want to come check us out. And anybody interested to find out more, sit down with us um, at lunch. If you want to join us, we have some tables set out. And uh, we'll pay for your lunch. Just let the tail know that you're with Taylor. Even if you come by and say, fooled you, I just want to say hi, but I got a free lunch out of it. It's between you and the Lord. <laughs> so just feel free to come and join us for lunch, uh, but please make sure that you get it paid for uh, by Taylor by mentioning that to your, uh, the cafeteria register person. Well, these chapels, uh, you're calling it a house of prayer, and as I talked with uh, Dr. Maxwell, uh, he invited me to come today to share on uh, Paul's prayer for the believers, and particularly looking at um, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Well, as I got into it, I figured, you know, I'd rather go deep than just broad. So we're going to focus our time in Ephesians chapter 3. And Ephesians is actually one of my favorite books of the Bible. It goes actually way back to when I was at NEBC, North American Baptist College with Al. My first year there, I read a little book, 90 pages long, by a fellow named Watchman Nee. Anybody ever heard of him? Phenomenal insight. He takes complexity and makes it simple, straightforward, and you just go, click, I get it. He has big picture overviews. And I read this book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Anybody ever read it? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Sit, think, walk, stand. 90 pages long. Changed my life. 
in terms of how I viewed myself before God, how I viewed how to live in this world, and how I viewed how I needed to deal with the devil and his attacks on my life. Sit talks about we need to be seated in Christ and what he's already done for us on the cross, Ephesians 2, by grace we've been saved. Now we're co-raised with Christ and co-seated with him. Sit down in that identity. And then chapters 3 to 5 is how do you walk that out in life? And in chapter 6, how do you take your stand when the devil tries to attack you and demean who you are and make you ineffective for the gospel? Brilliant. I invite you to consider it. Change my life. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about three other words today. The three M's of prayer. Meditation, motivation, and ministry. And I'm, I'm suggesting these underlie what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter um, 3, verses 14 to 21. This is Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesus. Anything odd about that slide? Did I spell Ephesus wrong? I'm spelling it the Greek way, not the Latinized way. Um, so trying to trick you here. There'll be a couple of other odd things as we go along that I'll invite you to consider. But as we read Paul's prayer, I'm going to put it up on the screen in a minute. Um, I'm going to invite us to respond. Now we're going to today move from meditation to motivation to ministry. So meditation, we're going to meditate on the triune God. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, Paul highlights the Father from whom every family on earth is named. He highlights the Son and the love the Son had for us. I can suggest that he highlights the Holy Spirit implicitly um, as at the end of that particular chapter as well. And I'm going to invite us as we meditate on God and who he is, three in one, that we will be motivated for ministry by his love for us, not by guilt for our motivation. And our process today is we're going to do some listening to the living word, speaking through his written word, Jesus the living word, we're going to invite him to speak to us through his written word. And in other circles, uh, more traditional, Catholic circles, etc., this is called Lectio Divina. It's just meditating on the word. It's just a fancy Latin name for it. Um, we're going to meditate on the word. You do it all the time, chewing the spiritual cud, so to speak. And um, I'm going to invite us, as we do the meditation, we're going to listen to the written word as I read Ephesians 3. And then I'm going to invite you, I'm going to read it through a couple times. As I do, I invite you to just listen to the Spirit of God. And what bubbles up as I read these words from Paul, this prayer from Paul, a word, a phrase, a concept that rises to your attention? And what might the Spirit be saying to you by what rises to your attention as I read the word? Listen to Jesus speaking through his written word. So Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, and it's an NIV-ish translation. I, uh, and the underlined parts of the th pieces I add in that, um, I, uh, that give some different clarity to uh, what's there from the Greek and, this, and what's maybe not even in the Greek. That's implied. So for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Let's just listen to the Spirit. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may give so that you might be empowered through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to read it one more time. Continue to listen to the Holy Spirit. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may give so that you might be empowered through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What bubbled up? What word, concept, phrase bubbled up for you? I invite you to share that with a person beside you. Just share that and, and try and sense is maybe why, is there a reason maybe why that bubbled up for you? So let's take a couple minutes to share with each other a word or a phrase or concept that the Spirit just rolls up. And if there's nothing, just say, you know what? It was just really nice, but nothing really bubbled up. It's totally fine. And if you don't want to share, just go pass to the person next to you. Okay, let's take some time. So I trust that there are some neat things you're able to share to just spark one another in terms of the imagination of what God is doing among you and uh, in you, and that you continue to just foster that life here on campus as you do so well here at Prairie. Well, I'm going to look at uh, Paul's motivation for praying, and uh, I'm going to suggest that it's praying with purpose. And as we look at the beginning of that particular passage, verse 14, he never actually ever says that he prays. He never says this is a prayer. He implies it. He says, I bow my knees, I bend my knees before the Father. Of course, we understand that's prayer. But all the other places in the NIV where it says, and I pray, it doesn't actually occur. He never actually says, I pray. It's all added in because we understand it is prayer. So he is praying, and his motivation, his purpose, is that our purpose in praying for others. And I can suggest there's three purposes Paul highlights in this passage for what he's trying to accomplish in his prayers for the believers. And these three purpose statements are in order that statements that I'm going to add in. Because there's a Greek word there, three times it occurs, it's a hina. Uh, and that introduces a, a purpose clause. 
So in an order that kind of a clause, a purpose clause. And here's the three places where Paul suggests his purpose in praying is focused for the believers, where he has the hina clause, the in order that. First of all, he's going to pray in order that God might give. And then he prays in order that we might be extra strengthened. Okay, that's my kind of word. Um, and mightily empowered is what you might find in other translations. Um, but I just sort of added, you know, the, the Greek word sort of adds a strength with extra strength. It's not like tied or anything, like much more important than that. And then he prays in order that we might be filled to the fullness of God. Verse 19. So these three purposes really, you might say, are undergirded by one primary purpose as we walk through this passage, and that is inner empowerment. Paul is seeking to invite us as we are purposely praying for each other, that we're praying, if nothing else, for inner empowerment in the believers. Is that your purpose in praying for others? Well, how can you tell if those purposes are being met, demonstrated? Well, I'm going to suggest that uh, Paul is purposefully praying for some specific results, and those are result clauses that I'm going to highlight for you. And uh, they are all introduced by an infinitive, a to be, you know, to love, to grasp, to etc. kind of phrases. And so there's four specific results, results from the four, two purposes in Paul's praying. And so I've color-coded these for you. So they go, blah, too much information. So the purposes are in the orangey, and the results are in the red. So first of all, Paul prays in verse 16, in order that God might give... He doesn't say what to give, but he highlights the result of the giving, with the result that you might be empowered in the inner person. And he prays in verse 17, in order that God might give with the result that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he prays in verse 18, in order that you might be made extra strong with the result that you might grasp the breadth, length, width, and depth of Christ's love. And then he prays in order that you might be made extra strong with the result that you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowing. Now, as I read those out, did anything strike you odd? Going, oh, that's kind of an interesting twist on something I hadn't thought about before. Anybody? Anything strike you odd? Well, how about verse 17? He's praying that God might give with the result that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying for believers, and he's saying, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's an interesting twist, because generally we're used to saying, when you first commit your life to Christ, you need to invite Christ into your heart. I'm going to suggest that's not enough. You can't compartmentalize Jesus in your heart. When you give your life to Christ, it's your whole person. That's what the Bible emphasizes. It's a commitment of your whole being. And Christ comes to live, the triune God comes to live in your spirit. And from deep inside, they transform you. And that transformation we call sanctification. And this, I think, is where Paul is going. It's this experiential transformation of your personhood, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that seed of your emotions, that, that, that personhood of yourself, that that's transformed as Christ rises from within and starts changing you in terms of how you think and feel and live and act and love. 
The other thing that's odd is the last one, that you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowing. There's a knowing that's beyond knowing, kind of interesting terminology. His motivation is that we would pray to know love, not just to know love. We need to know love, not just know love. What am I saying here? I think we get it. There's a knowing that's deeper than your mind, deeper than mental ascent, deeper than logical constructions, deeper than content, than knowledge. There's a knowing that's a heart knowing, moving our faith from the head to the heart. Those longest 18 inches you'll ever have to move. That's that deep knowing. And Paul prays there. He, he prays that God gives with the result that Christ will make His dwelling in our hearts, meaning a personal experiential knowing of His loving presence, and that God empowers with the result that we can grasp the height, width, length, and depth of Christ's love for us. That's that kind of a mental ascent. I'm going to invite you, Prairie, to go biblically deep into Christ's love or go home. Get that knowledge base the scriptural knowledge base deep within you. That's what you're here for. Go deep. But we also want to come to know Christ's love with, which surpasses knowing, that heart, that experiential. And that, Prairie, I'm going to invite you to go heart deep into Christ's love or go home. Don't just leave it in the classroom in theological reading. Get into deep fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and into fellowship with each other where you experience the presence of God in a mighty way. And chapels are so crucial to that end. At Taylor, we have chapels twice a week. And they are seminal for who we want to become as the body together. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about heart personal transformation. That's what we prioritize at Taylor. And I know that's your priority here, and I love it. But there's a third purpose for Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. Not just the two purposes that I've highlighted for you here, that God might give and that you might be made extra strong. And yes, there's something odd about that third purpose because it is missing something. So Paul's other motivation is he prays that we are to be filled to the fullness of God. But a specific result is missing from the third purpose of Paul's prayer in verse 19. He says in verse 19, I pray that you may be filled to the fullness of God with the result that okay, where's the result? He just says the purpose. No result. Then he moves into, now to him who is able to do immeasurably beyond what you can ever imagine or think possible. Well, I'm going to suggest that if we're focusing upon the concept of being filled to the fullness of God, that Paul does actually talk about that result elsewhere in Ephesians. And he uses that terminology of being filled with the Spirit in chapter 5, verse 18. The, there he describes five I'm going to suggest five visible results or indicators of how you can tell you are filled to the fullness of God. So let's look at 518. It's an interesting passage in terms of how our English usually translates it. So here is, in terms of the NIV, um, how it's translated. So the, there's, I'm giving you categories. There are two commands. There's two mediums through which that command is uh, uh, live, uh, in terms of what you're filled with. And then there's a specific result that comes from that filling. So Paul says, first of all, don't get drunk with wine, for that is excessive self-indulgence, or that fancy word, debauchery. Who knows what that means, right? So excessive self-indulgence. So there you have it, a command, the medium, 
you live that command out through in the result. Then he goes and says, but be filled with the Spirit. And then NIV puts, period. But if, you, if Paul has this paradigm happening, where's the result of the filling? How can you tell if you're, you can tell how you're, if you're drunk because you have excessive self-indulgence. How can you tell if you're filled with the Spirit? Well, I'm going to suggest that um, we should continue, remove the period, because after verse 18, there's a bunch of participles. What's a participle? How does a, a participle end, all you English majors? What, what three letters? Ing, I-N-G. Praying, loving, that's a participle, okay? There's participles, five participles that occur after, which could indicate that Paul's continuing that thought and saying, here's the result. So let's flip the slide. And what's the result of the filling of the Spirit? It says, be filled with the Spirit, and in brackets implied is, for that is excessive joy, as evidenced by these participles, speaking and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts, giving thanks for everything to God the Father, and submitting to one another. And again, the NIV moves verse 21 to a new section. It finishes your little subparagraphs at verse 20. But this participle could be one continuous comment that Paul is making, that these are the key indicators of how you will know when you're being filled to the fullness of God. You will, when you can't say, when you are just feeling, I cannot even speak anything to you, Lord. I'm just so, God, I can't even talk. When he fills you, you're able to speak with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you can't even sing, you can just sort of sit and enjoy, but nothing can come out. When he fills you, you're singing and making melody. And it's not just when you're really low that this happens. It's through whatever gradations of your experience. You're giving thanks for everything when life is falling apart. You're not just doing 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and everything give thanks. Because you can still in everything give thanks but grumble about one particular thing, right? But in chapter 5, verse uh, twenty. Paul closes the door on that. He says, eh, it's not good enough to give thanks in everything. You have to give thanks for everything. And only when you're filled with the Spirit can you truly do that in the toughest of circumstances. Thank God for that event, that issue that is so challenging to you. He is sovereign. He loves you, remember? And He is working it together for His glory and for your continued refinement and development as a minister of the gospel. So as we move from the motivation, the ministry aspects are this filling of the Spirit. You will be empowered as a minister of the gospel to live out who Jesus is and his love in the world around you. And in verses 20 to 21, Paul talks about the ministry of imaginative prayer. And we're going to do some imaginative praying for each other beyond our ability to grasp the breadth, length, height, and depth of what we each will experience because of Christ's love for us. So we did the listening to the Word, and I'm going to read those passages out again um, in the way that I've sort of reframed them for you and invite you to let the Spirit speak, and I'm going to invite us all to pray for the, with the person that you shared with and pray a blessing upon them as we conclude. But before I do, I just want to share with you my 20-year journey of experiencing um, God moving my life beyond I could ever imagine possible. Um, I'm academic dean at the seminary. My goodness, I never thought I'd ever be there. 
Some days I even wonder why I am there. <laughs> it's a lot of administration. I'm a pastor at heart. And it's been this amazing journey. I've seen God eclectically weave my life together in ways of going, what, what are you doing, God, with my life? It doesn't make any sense. I came to NABC when Al was there, feeling called to Wycliffe Bible translators to go overseas uh, to live with a tribe in Papua New Guinea and translate um, the Bible into their language. Of course, before you do that, you have to give them a written language because they don't have one. And before, while you're doing that, it takes 20 years to do that before you translate the New Testament, and then you leave them the New Testament. In the meantime, you're trying to disciple believers. That's what I felt called to. So I went to get my Greek so I could translate into whatever language I would end up faithfully, the New Testament. God shifted my life majorly, and we ended up stuck in Canada. I went, oh, I don't want to be in Canada. But, okay, you've called us to remain for whatever reason. And in the process, then uh, I knew who I've always been, but I never thought I was. Um, I refused to consider myself a pastor. And my wife said, amen, hallelujah, I never want to be a pastor's wife. Bonus, we're agreed. I never realized I always was a pastor. Ephesians 4. I'm one of those guys that's a pastor teacher for the church broadly. I had no interest in the pastorate, but I've come to see I'm, I've always been the shepherd, the shepherd who seeks to bring the flock. At church, when I was 16, 17, if a new person would come in and sit by themselves in the pew, it would kill me to see them sit alone. I just had to go over and make them feel welcome. I've seen this shepherding heart that my view of what a pastor meant clouded me from recognizing that's always who I'd been. I just didn't have the title, and I, I didn't have a pastorate. But eventually, God moved us into the pastorate, and uh, that was wonderful, amazing time. Uh, but then God said you know, to, my, to me, my time, your time is done. But before that point, he identified that he's going to move me into academic circles and basically to be a pastor to Bible scholars. That's what I really felt my call was shifting towards. And I thought, God, who am I? I have a bachelor's degree. I have a master's degree. And you're going to move me to academic circles to interact with these world-class scholars? Are you kidding me? That's too big a dream. I'm just this academic grasshopper, and there's too many academic giants in the land. But you know, it's been amazing how God has slowly but surely in the last 20 years unfolded that process to the point now where... Um, God has been gracious to give me the opportunities to interact with scholars around the world on a pastoral basis to see life transformation developing. Because biblical scholarship, when you get into the society of biblical literature, you know, every year there's 4,000 scholars that come from all over the world. It can be a pretty dry and uh, anti-biblical place. But there's, we need Christians who will just breathe the life of Christ into those sessions and particularly into those relationships. And uh, I feel so privileged in terms of where God's led me to even take on the deanship. I would have never thought that possible. And I uh, just want to be faithful to um, equip people to be faithful stewards of God's grace in their life. And so no matter what you may imagine happening, um, it's beyond what God's going to do, beyond what you can imagine possible. Just give your life to him. Have no agenda. Hold everything with an open hand. I have no agenda. I said, God, when I was at Northgate Baptist pastoring, I said, God, I could be a janitor here. I'd still be a pastor. It doesn't matter. I'm called to these people. I don't care about the title or position or role. I care about the people. And I pray that that's your heart. Whatever you do, wherever you're going, nursing, um, aviation, business, pastoral, missions, wherever you go, love with the love of Christ 
that you, can gra- you can't even grasp how long and high and deep and wide and it, that love is. But live that love out as faithfully as you can as God's child. But don't do it in your own strength. Be filled to the fullness of God. Sink deep into the love of Christ. Read, sit, walk, stand. <laughs> It'll help get you there. Um, okay, I'm preaching my own story, which is not too bad. But at the end now, we just want to take now time to pray for another on purpose for specific results. So if we can go to the last slide um, there, Matt, the last uh, full slide of Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 that says NRSV-ish. So the NRSV-ish is the uh, new Ralph's supplementary version. So I'm going to pray, read this, and I'm going to invite you to listen and, uh, and then pray. So I'm going to read it once, and then we're just going to pray for each other. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, praying in order that, out of his glorious riches, he may give with the result that you might be empowered through a spirit in your inner person, with the result that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, praying in order that you being rooted and established in love, may be extra strengthened together with all the Lord's holy people with the result that you might grasp how wide, long, high, deep is Christ's love, with the result you might know this love that surpasses knowing, praying in order that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God with the result that you might speak, sing, make melody, thank, and submit with your whole heart. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We have one minute. Turn to the person that you talked with and just repeat a phrase or whatever sentence, one sentence, pray a blessing on them as we leave. So thank you so much for uh, being a blessing to Rick and I. Uh, We just invite you again if you want to come for lunch. Tell the till. Come join us. Stay as long as you want or as little as you want. We can take it. We have big shoulders. Okay. God bless.